Hi, sorry, I was in the bathroom. I'm sorry you were in the bathroom, too. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> what a coincidence. Uh-huh. Well, we had a lovely conversation about you on Twitter while we were waiting. Oh, lovely. <laughs> History repeats itself. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. That's what I kind of figured. I didn't have my phone with me. It's like, oh, shit. Without using your phone. That's like in, in, unheard of. Or unheard of. I don't know. I, don't, I, had my switch, I had my switch light in hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> How long were you planning to be in there? You never know, really. Also, I was in the middle of something, so I just—it's just what I had. That's the advantage of the switch. You got a switch light? I have both. One was given to me as a pre- the light was given to me as a present, so I just oh. leave the other one in the dock. So you leave the other one in the bathroom. So, trying for the second or third or seventh time now, I don't know. But uh, on this episode of that one episode of Star Trek, we're talking about um, um, Deep Space Nine. Okay, sure. Uh, Deep Space <laughs> Nine, season five. All right, all right, we're getting closer. <laughs> and it was episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, it wasn't an episode. Shit, was it? Look, I'm operating on like two and a half hours of sleep here, so I'm, <laughs> you know, probably not. I'm probably gonna be a little bit in the clouds here. Well, more than I'd have. Uh, episode twenty-five. <laughs> in the cards. There ah, we go. And surprisingly, right. not an episode about Vic Fontaine. <laughs> I don't think he was introduced yet. But you'd think with him in the cards, we'd be doing Vegas or some nonsense. No, we did that in season seven. And in season two of Next Generation. Yeah, more or less. That episode's amazing. I mean, that struck me more as, like, Atlantic City than Vegas, but, you know, that might have just been budget problems. That's bad. Yeah, it could have been Reno. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that probably makes more sense, actually. Or it's, like, some riverboat casino somewhere. But, yeah, in the cards, it's a, it's um a Jake and Dog episode from right before the season finale, so, you know, good times. <laughs> It's one of the rare standalone episodes in later DS9. Yeah, even though it still does have um, indications of things aren't going so hard. <laughs> now, let's see. Theoretically, I queued up this episode so I'd be able to, uh, you know, follow along as we went through. Theoretically. Well, it starts out with the world's most depressing dinner party. Oh, it's the dinner party <laughs> from hell. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I love how just, like... Like it's 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 so average, but and I understand that you know things are not getting you know more serious in the show, and that's probably why th- things aren't you know too you know chipper. But um, it's also it, hilarious. <laughs> yes, like it, 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 uh, every person that Cisco asked, "How's it going?" The answers get more and more sad. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fine. It's. Okay. <laughs> like, if Dax was there, she'd be like, "Oh, well, my goldfish died." <laughs> Where is Dax in this episode? 
Mm-hmm. Theoretically, she's around in the background somewhere because, like, she gets called out in dialogue later. Yeah, Worf's barely in the episode too, so he's he's like in this scene, and I think he's that's the about scene it. staring at Cisco's wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we've all been invited to that party that we're really uncomfortable with, even in the best of circumstances, and, this, and we just yes, kind of you know it's called a podcast. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. I was say, that's, that's in the, I was gonna say that's everybody in this room. But I don't know if I meant the show or uh, <laughs> here. <laughs> What I love about the scene is the perfect button on it. Is after Cisco gives up on his cheer up party and tells everyone to go away so he can be alone and sulk. <laughs> yeah. They page him and say, by the way, Kai Wynn's coming. Fuck. <laughs> 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 you can just sense the, the. The part of him that is just like, I just need to go back to bed. <laughs> no, well, that's the perfect time to podcast. I mean, it's a dinner party, so I think it's just, you know, he wants to go to bed. <laughs> or, I guess you could be right, he could just be, like, regretting getting up that day at all. Yeah. I could have had a nice evening to myself. But no, I had to do this. Well, what else was he going to do? Cassidy wasn't around this week. <laughs> he could glower at his baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he'd have to go to his office for that. So Jake and Nob, Nog regroup down Did the bar. Did you say Jake and Nob? Yes. <laughs> Which, that's rude. A <laughs> little bit, yeah. So, like, I know it's a Jake and Nog episode, so it has to be them specifically, but it would have been more, like, entertaining and probably true to form if everybody left Cisco's quarters and ended up in Quarks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do like when Quark comes up, Jake's just like, the hell do you want? <laughs> like uh, he, he's old enough to understand by now. <laughs> he knows. Uh-huh. Every time Quark opens his mouth, it's a problem. And then Quark passes them uh, an an iPad with uh, eBay pulled up on it. <laughs> no, it's Basically. um, it's a uh, Quark's list um posting. <laughs> No, 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 that looks way too that, that, <laughs> that looks way too modern. <laughs> so, among the things uh, that Quark is trying to hawk at this auction is a pair of Tellerite shoes, date unknown. <laughs> yeah, I, I like some of the random callouts in the auction, and um, one of the things that even comes up it figures a bit into an episode in the next season. Really? Yeah. What thing? Uh, what Morn buys? What was it Morn bought? The, um, the, oh, it was the Matador painting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Morn still had that in the next season episode where uh, he quote-unquote died. That's fantastic. It was in the possessions bequeathed to Quark. Huh. The, um, painting sadly, the painting sadly didn't survive the episode. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's an attention to detail. <laughs> well, I mean, you know how DS9 is. <laughs> you didn't get that level of continuity in Voyager. Or a lot of time in Next Generation, to be honest. I, I, I think I feel like it is a large part of they just weren't paying attention to what they were doing in DS9, so they got to do what they wanted. That probably helped, you know, being the second child for two series in a row. <laughs> um, so what this really comes down to, though, is that 
Quark has come into or at least been contracted to help um, dispose of some items that were salvaged from a ship the Bajorans found drifting somewhere off in interstellar space. Um, They found like a a giant container full of old mask figures in it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the one thing that really just matters for this episode, though, is that for some reason, this alien ship with all these strange shoes and, you know, matador paintings and whatnot happens to have a Willie Mays rookie card from 1960, whatever. Earth calendar years are so arbitrary. I don't even I can't even keep up. Um and and Jake thinks that that would be the perfect gift to give his father to, you know, lift his spirits because, like, well, yeah, Cisco's down the dumps because everybody else is, but, like, it's not really addressing the real problem that, like, literally everybody Jake knows is miserable right now. And he's not even thinking yeah, just, about doing anything to help that situation. No, no, just, just the one that most directly affects him. Which, I mean, I make fun of it, but that's, you know, fairly realistic and kind of understandable. Well, all of, all of his dad's food tastes sad right now. And that's the worst. Like, sad food, man. Like, why even bother eating? <laughs> like, you can taste the tears in the shrimp etouffee. Yeah, it's way too salty. <laughs> and so, you know, having come upon this realization, uh, Jake speaks aloud the curse of, you know, what could possibly go wrong? How hard could it be to get this card and make my dad feel better? Not knowing uh, the the terrors he has just unleashed upon himself and Nog for the rest of this he episode. Sa- he says with 40 minutes left in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Before the credits. Yeah, it's, it's a hell of a cold open. Uh, so after the theme, uh, we cut to Nog and Jake's quarters, I guess. Yeah. I want to say bedroom, but that doesn't sound right. Uh, no, the, the bedroom's off on the other side of the wall that they're sitting on. We cut to extortion. Sort well, of? <laughs> So we have this really interesting conversation here about, like, comparative economics in the 24th century. Yeah. Which comes upon this great line from Jake, I'm human, I don't have any money. (laughs) Which is the most relatable thing in this day and age. Yeah. I don't think think that's how they intended it. (laughs) No. No. I like that Nog's life savings only amounts to five bars, which he keeps under his fucking bed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, but... there was also Quark's reaction to that earlier. <laughs> yeah, really keep it under your bed, do you? Uh, no. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> what I like about this scene is it shows that Nog really is a terrible Ferengi. Yes! Oh, yeah. Because Jake managed to out-bargain him. <laughs> yeah. But see, like, the thing is, in other points in the episode, Nog also shows that he's a great Ferengi. Um, well, and it's a flawed Ferengi, then. He, he got defeated in an economical debate with a human. Yeah, but when it came time to actually, like, you know, barter the way through the episode and actually make things happen, Nog was completely leading the charge here, and, you know, other times him and Jake have uh, engaged in business practices, or, um, was it season six or seven, uh, the, the great material continuum that Nog preaches oh, yes. and, you know, makes O'Brien's day miserable. Like, <laughs> again, Nog is a very good Ferengi in the right contexts. Um, he just seems to not be good maybe with money directly. Yeah, he yeah. can handle trading. Yeah. 
And I think that's a more useful skill in the long run. Yeah. Especially if he's got he, he wants to be in Starfleet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it was always like, interesting how they portrayed that Nog is actually very good at being in Starfleet. Just a completely different alien perspective of it. Yeah, like I, I feel like th- th- there are other shows that, given the characters of both Nog and Jake, would have made p- characters that were irritating. Instead, they're pretty inter- entertaining. Yeah, well, Jake was never really irritating when he was, like, a little kid. Yeah. I mean, they, sometimes he felt a little bit, like, tacked on to an episode when he was younger, but for the most part, like, they used him well through the whole series. Yeah, his performance was never irritating, like, say, with Wesley. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, like, probably Ira Bear in particular learned the lessons of how Wesley was used in early TNG and probably specifically set out to avoid some of those traps. Uh, including, yeah, like, like, very early on, determining that, yeah, Jake is not destined for Starfleet service himself. And, and it does take until he until the actor is older for him to have much more significant roles in the stories. Yeah, and that's a great thing about um, having the Jake Sisko character in Deep Space Nine, because, like, he kind of grows, his role grows with the actor, and his connection to the other characters develops that same way it's a very realistic portrayal of living in that situation and the very method approach that avery brooks took to developing the relationship between cisco and jake also made that feel a lot more realistic too yeah and plus him being one of the along with like orc being one of the only main characters that were not like like in starfleet yeah (laughs) yeah they were not in a service. Yeah, it, Jake's it, whole presence it, it, on the it, entire show is very underrated. Yeah, it, it helps like DS9's atmosphere of what it is. It's not an exploratory Federation vessel. It's a space station. People live there. Yeah, and when Jake gets older, I love his perspective on things for not being a Starfleet officer or even like you know wanting to be like he is perfectly happy pursuing his civilian interests. Um, like they give him the, the, the war correspondent job later, which kind of keeps him close to the action when the plot calls for it. But like, yeah, he he might end up on the defiance bridge here and there, but for the most part, he's Mm -hmm. disconnected from like the actual ins and outs of what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's, it makes for interesting contrast when they can actually like focus some episode time on him, which since I'm going to say sadly gets less and less as the series moves into the later stages, like kind of just proves that, yeah, he had beneficial impact in a lot of episodes he was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an episode in, I think it might've been early this season, um, nor the battle to the strong, which was another Jake episode with him and Bashir on the, uh, colony planet or whatever that was being besieged by Klingons. And it just kind of, it was, like, all about Jake learning the realities of what being in the middle of a battle situation is versus, you know, his preconceptions of it just reading about those kind of situations from the outside. And, like, it, parts of it are not comfortable to watch, but that's on purpose, and, like, it plays really well for the lesson they're trying to teach in it, and um, the actor does a great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And boy, uh, we're going to get enough track. as a writer. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Jake's whole turn as a writer was a great direction to take the character. Mm-hmm. It felt natural and it allowed him to do interesting things. Yeah. Like this episode. Yes. <laughs> um, so Jake convinces Dog to give up his life savings to make his dad happy. <laughs> <laughs> I like the conversation they have, like abbreviated though it is about the comparative philosophical stances of human non-monetary economy versus the Ferengi actually having something that works. (laughs) (laughs) Now, yes, in-universe, somehow human society works the way it's presented, but, like, I don't really get how they can interact with alien cultures that way, and all throughout Deep Space Nine, you know, we get references to the Starfleet people having, you know, access to Latinum and other currencies to, you know, conduct business on the station and in other places. So the whole... But they they obfuscated enough that you kind of have to wonder. (laughs) Yeah. The true impression I get is that, you know, people can have money, but to live a life in human planets and whatever, Starfleet, you don't need money for anything. It's just all having extra things. Now, if you you want to, you know interact with and do business with other cultures, yeah, you probably need to find a way to get your hands on some currency they'll accept. Yeah. But if you live on Earth, you're provided for it. Yeah. Right. Um, there was something else I was kind of queuing up to say, and I've kind of lost it. Damn. It'll come back when we start the next scene. It, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, so about this time, um, Kai Wynn arrives. Poor Cisco. Yeah. <laughs> you just feel him dying on the inside in the whole scene. So all of the scene opens up with, you know, Kai Wynn and Kira entering the office, and Kai immediately tells Kira to f*** off with a smile on her face. And you can just see Kira just hold her tongue visibly. Uh-huh. Like, you can see in her shoulders, of like she's just about to say, oh, f*** you. A, a rare occurrence for her. Well, you know, she gives the fakest smile ever as she walks away. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, and the and the little detail I like too is that you know properly she doesn't leave when Kai Win dismisses her. She looks and you know waits for Cisco to nod his dismissal. Probably <laughs> vaguely hoping that he will be like, "Oh no, I, I want you to stay." Yeah, uh, or, or it, 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 it's at least a very bitch. You're not in charge of me. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. I mean. It it is proper protocol, but also like the most defiance she can realistically offer in that situation. Yeah, I think Kai Wen in this whole little multi scene set here across different sets uh, is interesting, and in that she's not behaving like she normally does. Yeah, because like as we'll find out, she's put into a position of discomfort and uncertainty for herself, which. As we know from other episodes, she tries really hard to avoid in normal situations. Yeah, she's lost all of her power. Yeah, if she's not in control in a situation, she doesn't really know how to respond anymore. So the deal is, the Dominion won't talk to Bajor personally. That's a good sign. (laughs) Isn't it, though? And Cisco is appropriately like, oh, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) No. No, that's never a good sign. Yeah, so I like that she presents to him, you know, the Dominion, or the Dominion's coming here for talks. Cisco wants to know why, and she's like, I don't know. 
It was their idea. And then she pinches his ear before she walks away. Meanwhile, at the auction... Ah, yes, the auction. Uh, Quark is extolling that all this is going to charity. Minus the, the small keeps. finder's fee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A small finder's fee. I like that he's trying to impress upon this Klingon woman to bid higher for the sake of the children. Because, like, it's not necessarily a lost cause, but it certainly seems, you know, out of sorts. He'd be, like, pressuring the Vulcan to just feel what you need to donate more. Yeah, don't think about the money. Just, you know, go with go with your gut here. Yeah. <laughs> Think of the children. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sex logical Vulcan. thing to do. All right, so we finally get the the appropriate item, and it's a treasure chest full of garbage. <laughs> and the bidding war begins. Um, for some reason, a Bajoran Vedic starts bidding on it. Oh, there was a prayer mandala in the box, apparently. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, probably that's that. But then um, this really nerdy-looking guy starts bidding on it, too. Um, I forget what his name is. We'll just call him Ken. I was going to say his name was Geiger, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Ken Geiger. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure that um, that crate prop for this might be a reused Catcher Cell white container from another episode. Maybe it actually is a Catcher Cell white container. They just threw all the shit in. Oh, uh, maybe. So, um, Jake and Nog get outbid massively by this douche. He got a lot of money. Yeah, like, and he, he jumped the bid from, like, you know, five bars to, like, a thousand bars. And that's just rude. Yeah, kind of. Probably probably more excessive than necessary. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine so, since, like, I don't know what it actually was he wanted out of there, but, like, it had to be obtainable somewhere cheaper than ten bars. Ten bars plus a lot of garbage he didn't need. Yeah, they never really get clear as to why he was bidding for it in the first place. Uh, there's some translator of some sort in there I remember them mentioning which given what he's into is probably the piece he was wanting out of the crate but yeah much like any of us who you know found a, a nice shiny on eBay and it just shoots up past our means uh, Jake just kind of has to throw in the towel and stew sniped again yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, relatable yeah. As Morin leaves with his Matador painting, uh-huh. Jake and Nog accost this guy uh, leaving and say, um, so we can just kind of want to buy the baseball card, can't we? And he's like, no, f*** off! <laughs> <laughs> These well, are I mine. Mean, you kind of skipped over this whole bit where, you know, Jake is showing early signs of obsessive disorder over this whole plot. <laughs> yeah, Jake's not in a healthy state, but then again, like, no one on the station is right now. Well, yeah, <laughs> no. that's the thing, like, what they want you to look at is how all the senior staff are miserable right now, but uh-huh. it's also affected Jake, and this is the way he's exhibiting it, and you don't really get that until you like go back and look close at how he's behaving through the entire thing. Yeah. It's very self-destructive. Uh, yes. He said cheerfully. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, not only does this guy tell them to screw off, but he's 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 um a little over the top about it. Just I don't think he's entirely there. 
No. Oh, sure. Uh, like, you mentioned soulless means of orthodoxy one time, and suddenly you don't have all your bits in place. <laughs> well, 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 well it, it, without them even accusing him of anything, he's like, I haven't done anything wrong. Ah, but Nog's wearing a uniform is the problem. Uh, well, and Jake is very tall. Sure. The Being two of them is very threatening. The, yeah, well, the two of them together average out into one, you know, normal size threatening person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sorry. once once again, Jake's hopes and dreams uh, ride away in a turbo lift. <laughs> Story of his life, I'm sure. Either that or in a reliant class. <laughs> well, <laughs> meanwhile, the Dominions arrived. <laughs> Well, speaking of people in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, Cisco has his second bad meeting in as many days. <laughs> How can a meeting with Jeffrey Combs go poorly? <laughs> when, he's, when he's way up. Or Brunt. Uh-huh. I like the way Ian says, oh, we're just alike. And Cisco's like, the fuck we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wayne tries that line a few times this episode. Now, I'm trying to remember, like, the first time we saw Wei-Yoon ever, they killed him at the end of the episode. And then, of course, later we find out the Vorta are, you know, cloned from each other repeatedly. Was this the first time we saw Wei-Yoon again after his first appearance? I, would, I wouldn't think so. I would think that we'd, we'd been explained the clone bit by, by now, because Cisco doesn't react to him. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I just couldn't place where Wei-Yoon had popped up in between. Well, in any case, though, um, Jake is moping on the REPL mat, but Nog has good news. Uh, Ken Geiger wants to talk to them about getting the baseball card. We just have to come to his quarters alone in a secluded location without telling no where we're going. Um. <laughs> Jake's just like, let's go! <laughs> you know how to fire a phaser, right? <laughs> So they get to Geiger's quarters, and um, he's been doing some decorating. Uh, you could say that. Like the Franken-Geiger. <laughs> <laughs> like how they focus on the pod in the middle of the room on the shot. Yes. <laughs> His lab really needs a Jacob's Ladder, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but how would you incorporate Blinkies into a Jacob's Ladder? Or lasers? Like, you need, you know, some kind of, like stylistic theme to tie it together like that with the other stuff. I think Mad Science is its own stylistic theme. Uh, a Jacob's Ladder never stops providing science. That's true. The I mean, science just keeps climbing. I mean, even the Borg adapted it into a circular variation. They did. So, of course, they tried to buy the baseball card outright because, you know, that would end the episode pretty succinctly and we save a lot of time. But, no, it can't be quite that simple. And he, he wants to trade. Which, you know, now they're getting into Nog's forte, apparently. Well, because he looked at their LinkedIn profiles and saw they're connected and realized they can get him shit that he yeah. needs mm-hmm. for science. Yeah, I don't know if it's more or less creepy that he did a, that he did a background check on them before agreeing to talk to them at all. <laughs> I'm leaning toward more. Yeah, yeah. That seems like a safe assumption. But yeah, he's wanting a lot of um, odd stuff. Oh, it's nothing unusual. It's just, you know... A thousand gallons of biomimetic gel. <laughs> no, that's no, that was Garrick in the other episode. Yeah, I, I do. I do like that. Nog, Nog is the one who's like, 
what do you need this stuff for? While Jake is like, don't, uh, don't ask too many questions. Piss <laughs> him off. We'll lose the card. <laughs> well, Nog was right, right to ask, and he does get an answer. But <laughs> oh, does he get an answer? Do you want to die? <sighs> well, no. <laughs> now, of course not. Why should you? I love this guy's theory. <laughs> And you know, get bored. <laughs> well, and you know, as I've gotten older, I I found it seems more and more credible. Yeah. Cellular Inua. <laughs> so yeah, so Geiger's whole pitch here is that you can become immortal as long as you keep your cells interested and engaged in their jobs. And so he has created this large egg-shaped device that you must spend at least eight hours per day, and apparently, in addition to the time you spend sleeping, to keep your cells, uh, you know, motivated to just keep chugging along. Literally forever, which to me sounds like the definition of hell. But what are you going to do? I think it's impressed they found a pseudoscience that sounds so ridiculous you can't even believe it in Star Trek terms. And yet, it also sounds so ridiculous that you start to think, like, you know, he could be onto something. <laughs> like they, like, yeah, it sounds so ridiculous even in Star Trek terms, but it then just circles back around to being like, well, it's Star Trek. I mean, who knows? <laughs> I don't think Jake and Nog buy it, though. No, but, you know, they're not scientists. What do they know? Uh, fair. <laughs> I like that they have, a, like, an aside in the same room as him. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have a moment to talk about how crazy you are? Just, like, in the Three feet away from you. <laughs> I suspect he's used to it, though. He doesn't seem to react much to it. No, no. He, he's very focused. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. He's very focused on his um, movie-era Elkar's panel. <laughs> Only the latest and greatest technology for Dr. Geiger. It's probably just old technology. He's just put like a, a new skin on. Well, yeah, I, like, a lot of what I'm getting out of this is that he's having to scrounge and salvage old gear to, you know, fulfill the functions he needs because, you know, nobody legit will give him new stuff because he's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, then the soulless minions of orthodoxy would catch up to him. Damn soulless minions. Of <laughs> <laughs> orthodoxy. You gotta say the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, if you just say soulless minions, it doesn't mean anything. It has to be soulless minions of orthodoxy. Yeah. Soulless minions could be could be anything. Yeah, you don't know if they're orthodox or not. That would be a fantastic band name. Soulless minions of orthodoxy? Yeah. 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 It'd be like a, a, just a, a really dark heavy metal band. <laughs> so Jake and Nog agree to get him his shit, and the first stop along the way is Chief O'Brien. Well, you know, we need, we need an excuse to talk to him. It, it, it's more like if, if they need a patsy, the first one they're going to go to is O'Brien. <laughs> it's my feeling, anyway. They hit up Brian for the doodad that they need, whatever it's called. And O'Brien's like, yeah, there's probably one around somewhere. I'm busy. Fuck off. <laughs> but it's Nog's time to shine. So, O'Brien, wouldn't you rather be doing something else? Anything else? Like maybe spending time with your wife? Oh shit, no, no, no. Uh, kayaking. <laughs> Chief, don't you want to wreck your shoulder again? Hmm. 
But O'Brien has the menial task of scanning and recalibrating all of these, whatever they are, these uh, nondescript black pods and Rubbermaid containers. It's just Christmas ornaments. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you don't want your Christmas ornaments to fall out of the calibration. That would just be, like, tragic. DS9 is a big place. They need a lot of wreaths and lights. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, like, you got to get those lights, you know, calibrated. Otherwise, one light will go out and they'll all go out. <laughs> yeah, you know, they might not be Christmas ornaments, but there is the Bajoran Festival of Lights, so that's, you know, probably the lights they need. And it's almost time for the uh, Vulcan uh, holiday, whatever it's called. Uh, Calrec? Calrec, yes. Yeah, this is the Calrec season. <laughs> so he gets to do his menial labor. <laughs> so... They offer to do O'Brien's work for him uh, so that O'Brien can go to the holodeck. In return, O'Brien says, yeah, I know exactly where that thing is you wanted. I'll give it. To, I'll have it sent to your room. <laughs> so it means O'Brien didn't have to do anything to begin with. Mm-hmm. He could have just said, I'll tell someone to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a dick. Well, he's had a bad week. Since 1989? Um, yeah, more or less. <laughs> I think that's around when he married Keiko, right? Uh, oh, so yeah. the next stop is Dr. Bashir. And, you know, Jake thinks he's all hot shit now and, you know, can just repeat what Nog did. So, you know, Bashir is all <laughs> distracted with his work and Nog's like, or Jake's like, let me ask you a question. Don't you hate what you're doing right now? <laughs> And Bashir's response, absolutely sullen, is, no, I love this. <laughs> Bashir just kind of like, he just kind of was like, completely no-selling this entire conversation. He's just like, straight-faced through the entire thing. He's absorbed in his research, and he has no time for really? anything else, including emotions. Imagine his acting notes for this. Like, okay, so you need to be doing something, your your dream project right now. You're really excited about doing it, but you just sell it like you're depressed. Like, how'd... <laughs> <laughs> but once again, Nog comes in and saves the day, uh, trying to, quote-unquote, clarify Jake's question. You just don't seem happy, Doctor. If you could name one thing that would, like, cheer you up and make your whole day a little bit brighter, what would that be? Kukalaka! I'm sorry, what? What? Kukalaka! <laughs> huh? Kukalaka! Lita took my Kukalaka and she won't give it back. <laughs> okay, we'll get it back for you. What is a Kukalaka? And then the, it transitions directly to this really, really creepy scene. <laughs> Poor Nog. <sighs> well, it's not his fault he's the only one small enough to get in through the vent. <laughs> I assume. The pan, the pan that starts on the, the ratty-ass teddy bear goes to Lita, then to Nog's fingertips just start tapping each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's really disturbing. It's a bit. So he tries to stealthily uh, remove the bear from her possession while she's asleep, uh, but she grabs onto his arm and holds onto that. And He's in a little bit of a stuck position here, and so he blows into her ear. 
which <laughs> is just really the cap on the whole creepy endeavor. And then he swaps it with a bag of sand, which as the, pi- the pillar begins to lower, the boulder comes down <laughs> and starts chasing him through the, the Jeffrey's tubes. <laughs> Man, that would have been such a better episode. Oh, but the special effects budget. Uh, I yeah, I bet the yeah. Cardassians actually do have a boulder trap somewhere installed on DS9. <laughs> yeah, it's a security measure. Attention, Bajoran laborers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, 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 not without saying, this is also a, obviously one of their cheaper episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bottle episode, as they say. Absolutely, yeah. Which you squeeze in right before the big finale. You know, there's only one non-standard set here, and they probably had that still um, up in one of the other sound stages from an earlier episode, or at least pieces of it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a bottle episode's a great way to do, you know, the lighthearted comedy endeavor right before things get, like, especially Bad. serious. <laughs> well, it's hard to do a lighthearted comedy endeavor when things are serious. Yeah. It's hard, but not impossible. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Cisco is having coffee with Kai Wen or tea or something. I don't know. Yeah, so she's finished her meeting with Wayun, and the deal is, is that the Dominion wants to sign a non-aggression pact with Bajor. Well, that seems like a transparent ploy to, you know, drive a wedge between Bajor and the Federation. Sure, that won't backfire at all. Oh no, no, totally not. But it does kind of legit put Bajor in a difficult position of like, well, we're stuck here by the door. Uh huh. Between two people that are fighting. Well, and I like mm-hmm. that Kaiwin, you know, directly puts the Cisco, will you commit the entirety of your government's resources to protecting my planet, even at the cost of like the core worlds of the Federation? And when Cisco, of course, says, no, I can't make you that promise, and Kaiwin says, like, one of her best lines ever, I wouldn't have believed you if you had. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> well, and you know, I'm sure you know Cisco knows that's the case anyway. Like, uh-huh. it's, it's not like it was some kind of a you know a trap of wordplay. It's just like it's a reality of the situation. He can't oh, I, make I, that I, promise, I, I, and everybody yeah. knows that nobody can promise that they will sacrifice their home worlds for a planet they're just trying to court into the Federation in the first place. It's a conversation where you, you can actually understand both sides. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Like. She has a point, but also he's right. You can't just, you know, throw other worlds to the slaughter for them is what either. The and only it, thing it, I don't like about this is the way um, Louise Fletcher uh, reads that line of dialogue. Because it's fairly, like, um, antagonistic and hard-edged, where it probably would have played a little bit better if she was a little softer with it. Like, you know, I understand your position, but you also understand mine. Yeah, I I can get that. I think that scene does a good job of actually illustrating that Kai Wen's position is valid. Yeah. Because she's always portrayed as being unnecessarily evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in this case, like, she legit has to look out for her planet because one side or the other could f*** them over. Yeah. Yeah. This also, they, like, directly call back to it, to um, earlier in the season, the episode Rapture... Cisco basically blocks Bajor from joining the Federation when they're given the opportunity, saying that they have to stand alone. And, like, they don't, like, super overtly 
call back to what he was talking about in that episode, but like that's the this is the direct follow through on that. Um, you know, in that he was like citing he was basically making up a new prophecy of a swarm of locusts uh flying over Bajor and then heading for Cardassia, which was the Dominion fleet coming through from the Gamma Quadrant a little bit earlier. And that if Bajor didn't stand alone, it would be destroyed. And that's basically where we're at here right now. Um, so that, like, that's uh, some of the throughput that Ken was alluding to earlier. Where otherwise this is a standalone episode, but it's kind of tying together um, some of what they were building in the middle of the season for where they knew that they were going to be going in season six. Oh. I, I, I do think that does make that does make like it actually stronger as a standalone episode because it does stand on its own. You can watch it without really a lot of context. Mm-hmm. But if you're watching season five and season six, then it just it doesn't feel out of place. Yeah, I mean, having this B plot really does help to still make it feel like the story is going on, even though we're trying to have a little bit of fun right before the end. Compare it to the B-plot in the Voyager episode we watched last time. <laughs> Which, sadly, was also allusions to an overarching story element. It was, but also it didn't work at all. <laughs> no, but that's just Voyager. <laughs> I say as I'm face-palming. So... Ultimately, uh, Kaiwin is wanting Cisco's advice on how to proceed with this because, like, there's really no good answer to be had here. Um, cause I Cisco think Cisco comes up with a brilliant third alternative. Uh, just don't, don't answer, answer them at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Just, you know, make up some religious reason or something. You have to have, you know, a ceremony or a holiday, whatever. Just, you know, put them off. They we only cut, cut new business on the 1st and 15th of the month. Yeah, so Cisco tells her to stall Wayun, and she, like, she asks, you know, stall until when or for what, and Cisco's like, I don't know. And never clarifies beyond that. It's just, I don't know. That sounds like a Bajor <laughs> problem. <laughs> <laughs> but Mickey, the Cisco is of Bajor. <clears throat> So shouldn't a Bajor problem be a Cisco problem? It is, but he can't speak for Bajor. He only speaks to Bajor. Uh, I see. A subtle but important difference. Mm. So back in the mad scientist lair, <laughs> he is emerging from his chrysalis refreshed. And slightly bored. I think that's always, though. He needs to add more science. Maybe he needs to add a TV. Like inside the pod? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, that, that would make time pass better. Well, the thing is, too, like, you know, couldn't you just sleep in it and have the same effect? No, because sleeping is boring. No, sleeping is delightful. Well, to us, but to him. Well, that just proves there's something wrong with him. As if, you know, we need more evidence. Well, Jake's checking in, delivering some of the goods. He demands to know where the rest of it is. He says, well, Nog's on it. Don't worry. As the camera slowly pans up to the second floor. Yeah, because he takes, like, one little piece out of, I assume, the Cardassian thingy that they got from O'Brien and plugs it into his big computer wall, and it starts glowing and making loud noises. (laughs) 
And it just so happens that Geiger's quarters are on the deck directly below where Wayun is staying. Just so oh, happens. And we, we pan up to his ear, pressing to the floor, going, what is that? <laughs> and his Jem'Hadar <laughs> guards with their tricordery things, trying to figure out anything. Because I'm sure the Jem'Hadar are really adept at science like that. <laughs> the thing that, not it's like it's like we cut from DS9 to the com to to, to the plot of a um, of a sitcom. The neighbors like plot. Ken. This <laughs> this whole episode is the plot to a sitcom. I guess that's true. Like Balky wants to get that, Larry that a especially. Oh, see, I was gonna say like this could just be, as easily been an episode of Family Matters, but yeah, fine, Perfect Strangers too. <laughs> It would have been uh, Family Matters plot, and Urkel would have been the one with the uh, cellular entertainment machine, because, of course. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing I find odd with this scenario right now, though, is that they've given Wayun quarters on the station, whereas, like, why wouldn't he just stay on his ship that is docked at the station? Maybe he won't buy. Obviously, you know, we need him in that location for this part of the plot to work. It just seems a little bit strange that he would, you know, forego the security of his own ship for local quarters. Maybe the, it's not his quarters. Maybe he was having a hookup at someone else's quarters. Oh, my. Maybe he just likes the uh, replicator menu on the Cardassian replicators. They don't have those on the Dominion ships. He's fond of Kanar. So anyway, um, Jake and Nog still have a little bit of work to do to, uh, you know, secure the last of Geiger's things. And Nog brings up the best point, which is just, you know, if we told them what we <laughs> wanted this stuff for, this would be a lot less of a hassle. They'd say yes! I mean, they would. They would even keep it a, they would even keep it a secret from Cisco. Like, well, it, it's not... <laughs> well... So I think I think I think Jake's point from earlier that you know they tell O'Brien, O'Brien tells Keiko, Keiko tells Dax. Although I think the chain of Morgo, Keiko tells Kira, Kira tells Dax. But you know, small right. small details. Like you know, everybody would have the best intentions, but it would still end up getting back to Cisco and the surprise would be ruined before they could get the card and give it to him. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Plus, I think after a certain point, it kind of turned a corner, and Jake was really determined to like do this on his own, quote unquote. Even for though better or worse, even though he's completely <laughs> leveraging Nog for every advantage. Yeah, Jake is but actually accomplishing none of this. Nog is his possession. Yeah, basically. Uh, so right now, uh, Jake is trying to punch up Kira's speech to the Bajoran Water Assembly or whatever. Um, the assembly of water vedics, I don't know. <laughs> While simultaneously, Nog is trying to, uh, you know, noise correct Worf's Klingon operas. Now, Nog has a job that he could actually do because of Ferengi ears. Uh huh. Jake's job is fucking impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Jake is a writer. How do you make Kira funny while um... talking about water reclamation? Yeah, it's a very dry subject, and I'm not going to take the blame for that because I'm just <laughs> ripping off from the episode dialogue. Still funny. I mean, to be fair, Jake does seem very frustrated with having to make Kira be funny talking about water reclamation. Yeah, he knows his job is horseshit. Yeah. 
Well, Jake, welcome to being a, a writer. I thought Jake didn't think just go to another part of the station to write. Look, you have to be in your your you know place of power, your comfort zone, to do your creative endeavors, and it just so happens that Nog is playing Klingon operas at full volume in that place. Now, the reasonable thing would be to send Nog somewhere else to blast Klingon operas. The smart thing would be send Nog to noise correct them on the bridge of the Defiant, where Worf would be listening to them. You know, that's actually a really good point. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. The thing is, though, so we're uh, like 33 minutes into the episode now, and we're only just really starting to see the edges fray between Jake and Nog, and I kind of wish that it developed a little bit earlier so we could get into it a little more. Because this is really the only scene where you get that, because after this we jump to them trying to deliver the last of the stuff, and dun-dun-dun, um, plot twist. He's gone! So he's mysteriously disappeared. So naturally, they decide to go and file a missing persons report, since he's been uh, missing for all of, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> but cleared that room out very, um, handily. Transporters. I guess Impossible. <laughs> There's no way they could have done it that fast. They have to use some kind of teleporting machine. Oh, damn. <laughs> so, uh, Jake and Nog go and visit Odo to, uh, you know, report the disappearance of Dr. Geiger, who there's no record of? Question mark? So, I love that as Odo's questioning continues, they're forced to explain what his machine does. <laughs> <laughs> and as the words are leaving their mouths, you can, like, see it dawning on them that they're fucking stupid for even believing it for a half second. Yeah. Uh-huh. So well, the scene ends... I don't think they ever with... believed it. It's just they're realizing as they're having to explain it, like, what have we gotten ourselves into? I, the, the scene ends with them leaving, and Odo, Odo having off-screen said that he was about to, like, throw them in the brig for <laughs> retardedness. Well, I like before that, too, you know, Jake... Uh, calls out the cellular entertainment machine, etc., etc., and Odo's response is just, his what? (laughs) (laughs) So as they're leaving, they see Kai Wen talking to the Vedic who tried to bid on the chest. Immediately assume that it's a nefarious plot by Kai Wen. Now, now, be clear here, Jake immediately assumes it's a nefarious plot. Nog is just kind of regretting his life choices at this point. Can you really separate them as two separate people, though? Isn't it more like <laughs> well, in about a three minutes, being... in about no, three no, minutes, no. Nog is going to be desperate to separate them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nog doesn't even ask, like, why would she even do this? You know how dangerous she is when she's angry. Is I think Jake's uh... exact response, which really just makes you wonder, like. What does Ben tell Jake about his interactions with Kai Wynn when he comes home at the end of the day? A great fire has a tongue and a tail. Because, <laughs> again, in that episode earlier in the season, Rapture, uh, Jake has similar reactions like, You trust her? Since when? Mm-hmm. Uh, this does lead to the probably stupidest line in the episode. We got drunk? No, no, no. Oh. Lions, geigers, bears, oh dramatic my. pause. Zoom in on Jake's face. Oh, my. 
the the worst part about that is you know somebody in that um at the writer's table had to feel really proud of that one. <laughs> oh, they were they absolutely were. That's a total two AM line. <laughs> <laughs> How do we cut the commercial? Well <laughs> make them not want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough of this episode. Click. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, Kai Wen and Wei Yun have apparently concluded their meetings and negotiations for now. And Wei Yun again pulls out that whole, you know, we're so much alike. And Kai Wen just grabs his giant, weirdly shaped ear and squeezes it and is like, yeah, no, f you. I love her delivery of it, though. No, we're nothing alike. <laughs> nothing at all. With a big smile on her face. <laughs> and I just like when keeps trying that, and it keeps, like, total no-sale every time. It's, it's mm -hmm. like he's got some, like, internet PDF of how to pick up chicks. But it's <laughs> influence the beta quadrant. <laughs> Wait, no. He sounds in the alpha quadrant, isn't it? Um, yeah. So anyway, um, they, they part ways, and Kai Wen comes around the corner from the docking port. And look who's waiting for her. It's Jog. <laughs> Jog. Smash cut to, you accused her of what? <laughs> no, you see, it's cool. We were just drunk. <laughs> well, also, I do like the dog starts, like, it started at Quark's bar, and then it cuts to Cisco, and then it just has this glower. Like, of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> and then yes Nog is desperately trying to separate himself from Jake in this moment <laughs> too bad Jog no, get me aside so I can tell the truth and not be burdened by your liar son <laughs> you know you said a liar right <laughs> yes I'm an honorable Starfleet officer unlike your son Nog is just standing there having his whole career flash before his eyes before it even happens <laughs> So Cisco confines them to the quarters, and as they board the turbo lift, Jake says the equivalent of, "Well, this can't get any worse." And so, having spoken what? the words of power, what? he bestows yet another curse upon them. As they, are, track. as they are transported <laughs> into Jim Hadar custody. Oh shit! So they get uh, grilled by Jeffrey Combs because he knows they're up to something. Yes, but Wayun has such a, you know, soft-handed way of interrogating. With two armed guards. <laughs> well, it's not like they're pointing the guns at them. Sure. They're just pointing the guns near them. It's a complete coincidence. It's for I'm... everyone's safety. You understand. I don't want them to feel bored and then, you know, they don't have guns and feel the need to act out violently. So better give them guns. <laughs> I like how, though, uh, William barely starts grilling them at all. It's like, so, what y'all up to? <laughs> and then Jake immediately tells her telling the truth for the first time all episode. <laughs> to him, of all people. Well, I think that was just his, so he could lead into, by the way, I'm the station commander's son. Thinking, you know, that would be the get-out-of-jail-free card. But no, William's about four steps ahead of that. It's like, yes, I know you are. 
But that what means if you're I up to something? You're even more suspect now. As one of the Jem Hadari just happens to, you know, leave the room. Not suspiciously at all. But yeah, Wayne's a little bit freaked out because like Jake and Nog have been meeting with everybody on the senior staff except Dax who's not in this episode. And mm. even met with Kai Wynn as soon as she left Wayun. Hmm, suspicious. Mm. Are we really supposed to believe it's just some innocent coincidence? So Jake comes with the stupidest story possible. <laughs> well, he is the writer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is he now? No, Jake keeps trying to push the truth that, you know, nothing weird is going on. There's no, like, secret plot or anything like that. And then the Jem'Hadar pushes Geiger into the room. <laughs> and Geiger kind of blows the whole thing, saying, you know, you've betrayed me to the soulless minions of orthodoxy. And a better description for the Dominion I couldn't think of. Um... Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're, you're missing the part where um, Willie Mays is a time traveler. No, that was after Geiger was brought back in. Was it? Okay, yeah, sorry. I, I have the episode playing. My bad. <laughs> yes, Ken, you're bad. That's exactly right. You're you bad. You are. You are bad. Yes, that too. <laughs> you're, apostrophe R-E, bad. <laughs> bad like Michael Jackson's bad? Oh, nobody's that bad. Um, But yeah, so, you know, Geiger comes, like, I think Jake might have been able to convince Wayun that there was nothing weird going on, if not for, you know, having Geiger in custody and bringing him in, and Geiger being like, you've betrayed me and sold out my secrets. And then Wayun's like, aha! There are secrets! (laughs) And that's when... Jake thinks on his feet and comes up with the best story this side of season one of Picard. Hmm. Uh, That's... That's one way to say it. That's one way to <laughs> describe it. Yeah, so this man, one Willie Mays, didn't exist before yesterday. We think he's a time traveler. <laughs> so you see, Jake and Nog have actually been working for Starfleet Intelligence, because anybody would believe that. <laughs> the the civilian nonfiction writer and the Starfleet cadet are working for intelligence. Yeah. Like, they cut to Geiger a couple times here, and even he's looking incredulous at what Jake is trying to pass. It's the most emotion he shows the entire episode. I've said some bullshit. Even I recognize <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs> the thing is, though, like, when he first pitches the whole, like, time traveler thing, Wayun like, does a double take on the baseball card. Like, he almost for a second believes it. Almost, and I almost thought he was going to go along with it. <laughs> So Wayun just kind of lets uh, Jake twist his story and, you know, spin in the wind a little bit here. And ultimately comes back down to, you know what? I believe you. That you're just trying to buy a present for Captain Sisko. That other story is complete nonsense and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> You'll never be a writer. <laughs> you couldn't even write the news. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Uh, so, Wayun is convinced that they're not up to anything nefarious, but there's still that odd matter of Dr. Geiger. I love that Wayun does not believe Jake and Nog's story. However, mm-hmm. he does believe that Dr. Geiger has a machine that it will entertain his cells so he won't die. Yeah, he, 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 he's completely on board with that. Well, you know, Wayun does say right there that, like, hmm, I have a background in creative genetics myself 
So like, I think that's just supposed to imply like the Dominion's <laughs> up to some the Dominion's up to some interesting research, you know, on their part, and maybe it doesn't completely not align with the reality Geiger's trying to pitch here. I I just like how dismissively though that Nog says, "Oh, he's harmless. He just has a machine to make you immortal." <laughs> it's just that thing. <laughs> and then you know, Geiger gets to repeat his catchphrase. Do you want to die? <laughs> and then apparently Wayun and Geiger become the best of friends. And they were never seen again. Well, Geiger wasn't well, anyway. Well, Geiger wasn't. Well, we I... don't know that this Wayun wasn't seen again. There could have been another Wayun. <laughs> well, I think there's only one Wayun at a time, and we have no indication that this Wayun died in between this episode and the next one. <laughs> well, I think the fact that we see any Wayun again but do not see Geiger again is telling. I thought there were multiple Wayuns at one point. Um, so in Treachery Faith in the Great River, there are two active Wayuns, but they activate the new one after the first one, who is actually the sixth one, I think, or maybe seventh, um, defects to, well, Odo, technically. Not quite yeah. the Federation at that point. but um, So I think that's an exceptional circumstance, but under normal conditions, there'd only be one running at any given time. Or, alternately, there's only, like, six or seven different Vorta at all. So, you know, depending where you go within the Dominion itself, you'll run into a Wayun here and there and everywhere. Uh, but anyway, uh, Wayun decides to release Jake and Nog, and also, uh, you know, passes custody of the baseball card to them, because haven't they gone through enough already? <laughs> the Dominion are nice guys. You should be friends with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we uh, head out of the episode with uh, Cisco recording Captain's Log, talking about how, you know, a couple of days ago, this place was just a miserable pile of shit, and now it just seems like so happy and cheerful again. I don't know what happened. Still smells, but, you know. <laughs> that's Well, that's a Cardassian station for you. Dax is still bummed, but... Dax is still missing, but nobody seems to care. <laughs> And somehow, um, well, okay, so, like, the first part of this montage we see is uh, O'Brien in his kayaking gear. I'm not sure if he's coming from the Hollow Suite or going to it. Like, his, his uh, shoulders both seem to be in working condition, so I'm assuming he hasn't kayaked yet. Actually, Lita leaves this episode worse. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't really end that well for her, but she wasn't part of the, uh, you know, the whole uh, bartering system anyway, aside from being a victim of it. Victim of a home invasion and robbery. And, you know, uh, nebulous assault. Mm, nebulous yeah. assault, like when Kirk fought Khan? Sure. <laughs> or like when that cloud entity, uh, you know, kept basically uh, f***ing that guy in uh, the one episode. Is that from Cochran? Duh. Um, Metamorphosis in original series. They find, they find yeah. Zephyr Cochran on some distant planet. That's right. With the okay. the cloud thing that's in love with and, him. Yeah, and he doesn't look like a farmer. Well, you know, what are you going to do? CGI. I Yeah, that would have been great. If they would have produced the remastered version of the original series, it would have been great if they had CGI'd um, what's-his-name's face on that actor. In any Captain's case... Facing. In any case, though, it seems like, um, you know, Jake's punch-up for Kira's uh, speech worked out because everybody applauds her at the end, and she looks happy. 
and worth listening to his music and apparently doesn't have any, you know, harmonic distortion or whatever. <laughs> I like that Worf wanted Nog to fix tiny imperfections that only a, uh, a Frankie ear could hear. Whereas Worf does not have Frankie ears, so how do you know they're imperfections? Yeah, I don't even think Klingons are said to have, like, heightened hearing compared to, say, humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have mentioned on a couple occasions that the Klingon sense of smell is a little bit more acute, but that's about it. Well, they should bathe more, then. Well, I, I assume it works kind of like dogs. You know, they, they need their smell to identify each other. Uh... But at the end of it all, um, Cisco has his new baseball card, which is never seen again, by the way. Uh, and he, you know, gives uh, Nog a hearty handshake and hugs Jake, as you do. <laughs> and everybody but Lita ends the episode in a happier state. Hooray! Whoops. And it only took 36 hours and almost getting kidnapped by the Dominion. Almost. Almost. Well, I guess they were briefly. I mean, if you want to split hairs, yes. <laughs> Fine. They were kidnapped for a few minutes. But they let them go again, so no harm done, right? So where's Geiger's body? <laughs> Somewhere on Cardassia? Being very entertained. <laughs> yeah, you know, so like, when the Obsidian Order was in power, they like kept all the bodies of all the people they killed for whatever reason, because you never know when you might need a body or something. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if that practice was kept up after the Obsidian Order fell and, you know, the government was reformed and then the Dominion came and took over. Is Geiger's body, like, in a cataloged archive of things, just in some Cardassian warehouse somewhere? Like, There's a giant Dewey Decimal System card catalog that's just filled with bodies. So I was reading the um, the Memory Alpha page for this episode, and apparently in an early draft of this, Geiger's plot was not um, immortality through cellular entertainment. It was to um, genetically regenerate his dead wife from an earlobe he saved. Uh... Which not only is probably a little bit too gross for TV of that time to just, you know, have a cut-off piece of an ear... Um, but also kind of, like, gives him more of a sympathetic edge instead of being just crazy. It also shifts uh, him into more plausible terms of what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, because cloning and whatnot. Maybe that's why they abandoned that, because, like, cloning's well-established, and he probably could have had that done somewhere pretty easily if he just... Yeah, he could have just gone to the mall and had her cloned. In season one, like, just a random Bajoran was able to clone himself to try to set up Odo for murder. And, you know, if you can do that, I don't think it's that much of a problem to, um, you know, get your dead wife regenerated. Yeah. But I, I suspect it's more about, like, that would make him a sympathetic character instead of being just nuts. And he kind of needs and to just be nuts for this uh, this plot to work. Yes, because this is supposed to be a comedic episode, and of him being serious, that would kind of Undermine cut the legs it. off of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was um, in the cards, which it's not like a favorite episode, but it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good episode. Mm -hmm. Solid. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you both seem to enjoy it. Yeah. And, 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 and like I said, it, even though it does tie into the plot surrounding it, you're still able to take it in and enjoy it on its own. 
Yeah, it's not like I, you know, pitch us to watch one of the last, like, four episodes of season seven or something. <laughs> just, 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 just the third to the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad this worked out, because as, as we probably remember, my track record with picking episodes to watch has not always been the best. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions for our next episode? I hadn't really given it any thought. I was hoping one of you might have something to pitch. Well, I don't know how well your spreadsheet is going, but have we done The Child? Well, let's go look. Um, I mean, there was only 101 episodes of um, that one episode of Star Trek to start with. So it's not like it took that long to uh, compile it into a spreadsheet. Uh, in fact, let me... Turn on sharing for this so that the two of you can also browse this as you need. Uh, please work. <laughs> See anyone with a link can open, copy, or there. Skype chat. All right. Now I think you should be able to um, click the little drop-down thing on the column headers to sort. Um, yeah. That's mostly useful for the series column, but I guess if you wanted to do an alphabetical listing of the episodes themselves, that's also an option. I'll just do Control F and search for the title of the episode. Uh, anyway, though, I I can see from this that we have not done the child because it would be under the comma C, and there's it goes from the assignment to the Devil in the Dark. All right, then let's do the child. Oh, phrasing. Uh, <laughs> uh, intro quote new episodes of that one episode of Star Trek are made possible by the support of our excellent patrons become a patron today at patreon.com slash tfradio and help support the show plus get early access two weeks before everyone else with new episodes releasing about twice per month there's also an archive of over 100 classic that one episode of Star Trek episodes which you can listen to anytime You'll find that at tfradio.net.